Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Inspire. Got a great guest speaker today. They're calling in from all the way down in Florida. Uh, today's guest speaker is Matt Morgan. Hey Matt, thanks for calling in today. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. No, absolutely. Wouldn't miss this. I think uh, the listeners are in for a treat today with you on the line. Um, real quick, I'm just going to give a little bit of your, uh, your dual sport background as an athlete. Um, listeners, Matt is a graduate of Fairfield High School, the class of 95. He attended Monmouth University in 1996, where he was a student athlete on the basketball team. Um, in 1996, they won the NEC Conference Championship, which landed them a ride in March Madness that year. Uh, after 1996, due to a coaching change, he transferred to Chaminade University in Hawaii. Uh, that's where he finished up his career. He played in the Maui Invitational out there. Uh, he actually graduated magna cum laude in public speaking as well. After graduation, he had a couple tryouts with the Pacers and the Raptors. Um, and from there, he kind of took a turn in his athletic career. Uh, he then became part of the WWF Tough Enough 2 program. He left that season early due to a knee injury. In 2002, he signed a developmental deal with the WWF under the name The Blueprint. Uh, the WWF assigned him deal to the Ohio Valley Wrestling from 2002 to 2005. 2003, he was called up to SmackDown. Uh, in 2004, he was the Ohio Valley uh, Heavyweight Champion, where he held the title for six months. Uh, also during 2003-2004, he was part of SmackDown. Uh, 2004, he was part of the Royal Rumble match. 2005, he returned to the WWE. Uh, from 2005-2006, he was doing some Japanese and European promotional stuff. From 2007 to 2008, he became part of T TNA Wrestling. 2010, he held the TNA World Tag Team Championship. Uh, in 2013-14, he was part of the independent wrestling circuit. Uh, then in 2014, he retired from wrestling. Uh, through the next few years, 2015-2017, he had a couple uh, guest appearances on TNA. And his finally re final wrestling match of his career was March 16, 2019. After that uh, wrestling career, he got into politics in 2017. He was the District 4 City Commissioner of Longwood, Florida. And... Currently, he's still in Longwood, Florida. Uh, 2019 to now, he has been the mayor of Longwood, Florida. You got a lot going on there, Matt. <laughs> That's a mouthful. It is, it is. You know, I know the, the wrestling, you know, has so many different um, aspects to it. So, you know, going back and forth from the different levels and your appearances there. Uh, but it's very interesting, you know, being a dual sport athlete, you know, kind of seeing the, the transition. And you see a lot of professional wrestlers transition from college football, college basketball. A lot of them kind of have that background in athletics. Yeah, usually more times than not, yes. Awesome, awesome. So now let's get into your early athletic career. You're a freshman at Monmouth. You guys go and win your, you know, the NEC tourn tournament championship. Um, and then you were able to be part of March Madness. All of us love March Madness. It's everyone's favorite. You know, those first four days are everyone's favorite four days of college basketball a year. What was it like that to experience it as a, you know, mid-major Division One school? It was, it was phenomenal because this was the first time Monmouth University, who used to be Monmouth College the year before I got there, uh, ever reached the NCAA tournament. So a small city in New Jersey, which Monmouth is based out of, called West Long Branch, New Jersey, was just absolutely unglued for this. Um, we were we had a really good team, an amazing team. 
with all conference players and whatnot. Um, guys that would go on to uh, have NBA tryouts and long-term careers overseas. Very good, great, great basketball team all around. And as a freshman, I feel like I was spoiled in a way because um, I got to see the best of the best, I feel, right away. And I learned even how to add more tools to the tool belt, if you will, on work ethic and why they were so good and what it took to be so good. And how, you know, they're out shooting hoops on Saturday nights and Sunday nights and not out partying and drinking and doing drugs and things like that. So it was really good examples for me. And um, so I'm a, I'm a very wide-eyed freshman coming from Fairfield at the time. Um, we win the Northeast Conference uh, Tournament Championship against Ryder University, or Ryder College, who was supposed to, uh, they were supposed to be the ones that go into the tournament. They were supposed to win the NEC tournament that year and move on. They were a really, really star-casted team. And uh, we got in that tournament. We won all of our games. Finally, we played them in the championship, and we won that game at the buzzer. We had two buzzer beaters. I take that back. Our semifinal game versus Marist, um, we had a, a Mustafa Barksdale, our two-guard, hits a four-point play in the corner. He gets fouled shooting the three. He nails it, goes to the line, makes the free throw. We win. Next game, Quint, uh, the Northeast Conference Championship, Quincy Lee, our small forward from let's say transfer from LaSalle, um, hits this, uh, gets fouled, I should say, going to the basket, goes to the free throw line with one second left in the game. We're down one. He hits both free throws. Everybody at Monmouth, because uh, it was a home game for us for the championship, rushes the, uh, the court. Everybody that is in the state of New Jersey, it felt like, was there that day. Right, bum rushed the court. It was melee. It was my first time ever being on ESPN. I remember being so excited about it. Um, everyone back home, Coach Dave Schultz, who was my basketball coach at the time, called me. Everyone was so happy, and it was a great feeling. And then going on to be able to play Marquette in the first round of the NCAA tournament with guys like Aaron Hutchins and Chris Crawford and all these guys that went on to play in the NBA. Um was quite an experience. I was a freshman at the time, so I wasn't going to, I was no starter. I didn't contribute major minutes, um, but I did get in at the end of the game. So, you know, I have an NCAA ring. I got to play in the game. Um, just a, an incredible memory for me and my whole family. My family drove out to it. Uh, where we were stationed for our NCAA tournament that year versus Marquette in that first round was, I believe, Rhode Island. So that wasn't that bad of a drive for my Connecticut, Connecticut, New York, New Jersey family members to drive out to. So it was a really cool experience. No, that's awesome. Buzzer beater, buzzer, you know, that semifinal buzzer beater, my, my ears as a coach, fouling a guy shooting a three, you know, that, that, that's golden rule number one, especially in a buzzer, don't foul the guy, you know, and, and ends up, you know, with the turning point. You would think, you would think, and I remember I was on the bench, uh, we all jumped out of our seats like 10 feet high at Marist in that uh, semifinal NEC matchup, and uh, when Mustafa hits that three in the corner and goes to the foul line, to shoot his his uh, last free throw, his one free throw, to give us the win. Um, right before that happened, he's at the foul line, and my roommate uh, Maurice turns to me. He's our he's our point guard. He goes, "Well, looks like we're not going to uh, uh, where were we going? We're supposed to go in somewhere that year, Cancun." Because ah, looks like uh, we're not going to Cancun there, Morgan. <laughs> and I'm like, "Are you freaking kidding me? Who cares?" Right, right. We're we're we're, we're dancing, baby. You know that that beats Cancun. We're dancing. You crazy. Yes. Oh, that's funny. So, so now you go through that great freshman year, the two buzzer beaters, you play in the NCAA tournament, 
And now with a coaching change, you decide to transfer from New Jersey and you yes. complete opposite coast, can't get much further West Coast than Hawaii. Uh, how is that for you personally, academically and athletically and going in as a sophomore now, not even as a freshman, kind of earn, earning your uh, keep again? Okay. So quick. Um, yeah. So quick. Uh, Wikipedia sometimes uses our information correctly. Sometimes they screw it up. Um, I transferred out of Monmouth. My so- after my sophomore season. All right. And so I, I was an upcoming junior transfer out to Chaminade in Hawaii, right? Because you're right. My coach was leaving. A new assist- the, the new coach was coming in. I don't know what he has planned, so I don't want to stick around. I'm a starter. I've earned that spot. Um, I don't even want to mess around with it. I, my heart and soul is into that uh, position, I always felt. And I've earned it. So I'm not going to leave it up to some new coach coming in to take it away from me. Um, so I moved uh, out. When you transfer, your name appears in the bottom of the transaction section in USA Today Sports. Uh, and all these different colleges started reaching out to me. But when Chaminade reached out to me, what I liked most was I wanted to play pro basketball. You know, that was always my dream as a little kid. It was one of my dreams. And um, they play in the Maui Invitational every year. So they are guaranteed two ESPN games per year. Okay? Now, it took me at Monmouth to what win and get to the NCAA championship to, to get on ESPN. And even then it was probably like on ESPN three or something like that, you know? So this was a major deal right. to go to Chaminade and play that upcoming year was going to be, I was a starter. I was a starting center and I was playing my number. My first game of the year that year was Duke university. They were number one ranked in the country. They had those five freshmen starting first time in Duke history. Um, where they had Elton Brand, William Avery, they did such a stacked team. Right. Uh, uh, Shane Battier was a freshman that year. Uh, Sony McDonald All-American. So I was like, hell yeah, I'll come there. And it was a very big culture shock. This is a melting pot, a cornucopia of different ethnicities, backgrounds, religions. Um, you have Micronesians, you have Samoan, you have Hawaiian, you have Filipino. You have so many different, again, ethnicities that I've never been exposed to a day in my life. Where we're from, uh, up in the Northeast and Fairfield specifically, you know, it's it's pre- predominantly uh, Caucasian, African American, and Hispanic. When I grew up, that's all I felt. Those three, I was really the most exposed to. Um, so to go to Hawaii was a very big culture shock for me, and um, it was a great experience though. It was an amazing experience, much bigger than basketball, much bigger than sports. And quite frankly, where I am at today, I would argue. A big part of that is because of that amazing uh, experience I got to meet so many different people, so many different backgrounds, and see how we all have these things in common, just, you know, despite whatever backgrounds we have. That doesn't matter. Um, and how to communicate, most importantly, with people with different backgrounds. That's the name of this game, man. It's life, ex- it's life experiences, and that, you know, obviously, you know, so many young athletes have these aspirations to play at levels, but they don't understand how important the social and the personal fit is beyond the oh beyond the athletic fit. And you and you ended up uh, meeting your wife out there, correct, at Chaminade? Yeah. yeah, I met my wife there. I was the first college graduate of my family by going out there and finishing my education as well. After I was with basketball, uh, and, and I'm sorry, basketball brought that all to me. Right. Um, be, be, you know, busting my tail since I was, I don't even know how old. In my driveway every day, um, I lived next door to our junior varsity coach for the high school at the time, Mr. Fitzgerald, well, Fitzgerald Fitz. And um, so he was out, so like I was in middle school, and I remember I always wanted him to see me practicing. Every time he showed up 
home from after work. And by doing that, it literally made me be out there for hours and just trying to impress this guy. And um, it just eventually took over that work ethic. I started to see I got better by doing that. And then eventually he'd come over, give me a couple pointers here and there. When I was in eighth grade, I shoot a jump hook, things like that. And I saw that this is the first time now I've experienced if I work hard at something, I'm going to see the payoff. I've seen myself improving. You know what I mean? And, and basketball gave so much of that to me. No, that's it's such, such a great story, you know. Um, you know, Walter Fitz is, you know, I, I was lucky enough to play for him. And, you know, he has always had words of wisdom. And you took him and you, you, you built off him. And practice with the purpose yes. is a big part of that. So now we uh, you, we transition. You, you you know you you graduate from Shamanad, and you know you start getting into the wrestling industry. What was there a draw there? Did you kind of get recruited to what? Where where did that kind of yeah. thought process come from? So as I got older, like my when I transferred out to Shamanad, I would say maybe actually no maybe my sophomore year at Monmouth. Well, the big thing for me was I had to get weight on. I had to get bigger. I had to get right. more muscular. And I had to get meaner and nastier. Um, is what the coaches wanted for me. So I just locked myself in the weight room over that summer between freshman and sophomore seasons, and I put on 35 pounds of muscle. Um, and then between my sophomore and junior year, I put on another 50 pounds of muscle. Where now, um, I think they had me like listed at like 260, and I'm like, that wasn't even my weight. I was like 280, honestly. Um, and throughout my junior year, I kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and stronger. And I loved that because, again, it goes back to what I said to you earlier about if I'm able to see, if I work hard at something and I'm going to be able to see that payoff, you know, weightlifting is, I don't want to say it's instant gratification, but it's pretty darn close. You're able, you're able to physically see the changes in your body. Every day you go in there to work out, slowly but surely, you'll see those results changing. And I'm so competitive that, I really loved that payoff. I, I truly did. So I'm playing basketball. I'm still trying to follow my hoop dreams, right? But I'm getting bigger, more muscular every single year that goes by. And I've been a lifetime wrestling fan. I'll just be clear. I've been a wrestling fan since I was six years old. Right. Um, that was my favorite thing to watch on TV. Even as a college uh, student athlete, I used to host Monday Nitro parties <laughs> to everyone come watch on Monday nights. All the basketball and football players come in my dorm and watch it with me. Um, I was just absolutely a lunatic about wrestling. I loved it. But how do you get involved? You can't go to Wakeman's in Southport, Wakeman Boys and Girls Club, and ask, say, hey, Kevin, how do you how do you, how do you you learn to swing a, a steel chair and s- s- smack somebody over the head? They're, they're going to, like, beat it, kid. What are you talking about? Yeah, your, par- you your, your parents might be getting called after that one down there. Yes, yes. So so I had to stick, I stuck with traditional sports. Um, but uh, those traditional sports definitely prepared me because now um, – <clears throat> I'm back in Fairfield, Connecticut. I'm uh, at the time you, if you're an NCAA athlete, you could not have a job during the year. You were allowed to, however, make money during the summer. So uh, you're not allowed to have a, a job on an NCAA basketball or any kind of athletic scholarship during the actual school year. But in the summers you could. So I'm bouncing at Seagrape in Fairfield, Connecticut in the summertime. In walks a guy who writes for WWE Monday Night Raw magazine. He says, you ever think about wrestling? I was like, well, sure, but I don't know how you get started. And he goes, well, are you able to get over to Stanford? I said, sure. And he goes, well, that's where the WWE headquarters is. I can bring you into the uh, um, facility's uh, weight room every Friday night. That's when Vince McMahon, the CEO, goes in there and works out with his trainer, and I can introduce you. 
Drew, for the next six months, I every Friday night going there, hoping to bump into Vince McMahon. And I'm not joking. Like five and a half months go by. I still don't see the guy. I'm ready to give up. But uh, one of my last attempts of doing this, I'm walking in. At the same time, Vince McMahon's walking out of the restroom. Literally walks right into my chest, looks up at me, and he's like, holy bleep, how tall are you, son? <laughs> and I told him. And um, he's like, do you ever think about uh, getting into the business? I'm like, funny you should say that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been stalking you for the six, six months, unbeknownst to you. Yeah, don't don't <laughs> check the security tapes because I've been stalking you. Yes. <laughs> and so, uh, long story short, he introduces me to Jim Ross, Kevin Kelly, and other others with WWE um, that made talent uh, relation decisions. So they, t- I get a call from them. Talent, I give them my contacts. They give me theirs. Next thing I know, uh, I'm getting a contact, a call from MTV of all places, and they're about to do a reality show. Uh, with WWF at the time. They weren't WWE just yet. They were still WWF, World Wrestling Federation. And the reality show was the winner of this reality show gets to get a three-year WWF contract. All right? They picked 12 people to live in a house out in California. It's like every other real world or reality show you see out there when that was all the rage with these reality shows. And you get beat up every day learning how to become a professional wrestler. And they video, they put it on TV, on MTV. And it was a very, very uh, high-rated show. Um, it got me a ton of exposure. I picked to do the show, obviously. And, and I got really good exposure on it. I tore my knee because now I'm almost 380 pounds at this point. I'm enormous. Uh, a lot of fat I'm carrying at this time, actually. And um, my body was not built to hold 380 pounds. And my knee snapped doing one of the obstacle course training things that we were doing there on the beach. Uh, them trying to drive us into the ground and show us throwing up and how tough wrestling is and how you have to really want it. And their goal was to weed out the weak. And unfortunately, my knee went out on me. And so by proxy, they had sent me home. I wasn't allowed to continue with the show. I get a call maybe a week later saying, hey, after you get your knee scoped or if you have to get surgery, please let us know. We're still very interested in signing you. I was like, wow. So... I then get signed after all this is said and done about a month later to a three-year contract while the reality show is still filming. They don't even know who the winner, like America still has not seen me yet. They have no idea who the hell I even am yet because um, this MTV show is not aired. So I couldn't tell anybody that I got signed by WWF just yet. I had to wait until the MTV reality show aired. But by then I had like six months of experience, got sent down to Louisville in, in Ohio Valley Wrestling. So that's WWE's like minor leagues or AAA, if you will, where they teach you and how, where you own your craft and how you learn the characters that they want you to play and things like that. You learn how to punch, kick, fall, everything. Um, anyways, and it was an amazing experience for me. And uh, very fortunately, I was able to live out my legit childhood dreams since I was sick. All right, so... Uh, so uh, since I was six years old, you know, was or honestly, I just didn't know how one day I'd become one. So uh, I got called up to the main roster uh, to SmackDown about a year or so into my training, uh, and I was very, very fortunate for that. And uh, just a dream come true. Yeah, it's very you know long long road as you see injuries always kind of getting that rate uh, in the way, which was could have been a setback for you, but you actually got the contract, so it was a good way to keep you motivated after you were so close to reaching, you know, something through the TV show. Um, and you ended up spending close to 15 years in the wrestling industry. So I can only, I can't even imagine actually the type of workout regimens you would have to go through, 
both cardio and physically because of the size of the people in the industry. Um, so over the 15 years, what, what's kind of your regimen and mindset, you know, of your day-to-day life? And, you know, while sharing that, also, what was your probably favorite match and memory, you know, during that time in your career? Oh, that's a tough one. I, I think the initial call-up to SmackDown was a really big deal. I got to de- essentially debut, more or less, at Survivor Series, one of the biggest pay-per-views of the year for WWE, on the biggest. So for those people who don't know, Survivor Series is a five-on-five type of setup. And uh, I was able to team with Brock Lesnar, who everybody knows, um, in a match against guys like John Cena, Kurt Angle, uh, The Big Show. I was just so fortunate. I got really brought into an opportunity with nothing but main event talents. That doesn't happen when you're a rookie like that. So uh, just really was blessed, super blessed and super uh, honored by it. But uh, my favorite, if you're asking me, like, my favorite, most prideful match of all time or something like that is, it could be versus Ric Flair. I've beaten Ric Flair before. It could be beating up Hulk Hogan backstage because he wasn't able to wrestle anymore. So he was kind of like a figurehead or general manager. Yeah, he, 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 he was the guy for us growing up. You know, that that was Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, you know, so, Ma- Macho Man, all those guys. So to do anything with Hulk Hogan at all was a huge honor. Absolute. Six, six-year-old Matt Morgan was going crazy inside his head. Right. Um, you know, um, or I think Per Angle or even AJ Styles. So or John Cena, there's so many, honestly, to pick just one. Right. I mean that. Yeah, no, it's, you know, definitely, definitely, you know, growing up and watching it, you know, my dad used to walk in when it was on TV and, you know, those guys at Ultimate Warrior, all these, you know, famous <laughs> guys. Um, and then the, the workout regiment to it, it, it had to be intense, you know, was, you know, especially on your Very. body, but just, you know, overall, again, the, the being able to lift a 350-pound guy over your head takes a little bit. Try, try 550, the big show. Yeah. I had to pick up seven foot two, 555-pound big show over my head numerous times. I ended up doing my back in pretty bad, but nonetheless, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's great. So now, you know, 15 years in the wrestling industry, you know, what was your thought process on getting into politics down in Florida? Uh, I hate a politics. I hate a politician. Um, I'm not, nothing specific against them. I just was, it wasn't my bag. I just didn't pay attention to those types of things. Um, but with wrestling, you have a huge responsibility to be a role model to kids all across the world, not just our, not even just our country. Um, when I was wrestling, on my off days, I'd go into different uh, boys' clubs, girls' clubs, schools, more importantly. I'd go to every school you could think of, even in foreign countries. Um, I've spoken to schools in Japan. I've spoken to schools in Australia. Um, it's crazy. And uh, I really missed that the most. When my son Jackson was born in 2014, and when he was born, I, I just made a decision right there in the delivery room that I'm not going back to WWE, which I was supposed to do that year and re-debut after being away and working for their rival company for so many years, TNA Wrestling. And I was supposed to re-debut at Royal Rumble in 2014. Well, my son's born. I've been begging and pleading with God for, ugh, Drew, I want to say 11 years. Went through seven bouts of IVF. Nothing was working. Finally, 11 years into this, uh, you know, by the grace of God, my son's born. I'm holding him in my hands. In the delivery room, after wife just had an emergency C-section on top of it, and I just, that day, that minute, it just, the switch goes off in my head that I'm done. I cannot go on the road because when you're wrestling, let me be clear, you're on the road three to five days of every single week of every single year. There is no off seasons. Your off season is if you get injured. If you get injured, you're not making the same kind of money that you're supposed to be making anyway. So 
it breeds you never to be off. So a, a longer story short, um, the switch goes off that I'm done. So then you start, uh, you're looking through the prism of your world, completely different, different set of eyes as a father now. And between that and being a role model for, for our youth, for so many years as, as a wrestler, um, you really start to pull back the curtain and see, well, who's making the decisions around here for our kids and some of the, the things that they should be out there benefiting our children. And then you realize, well, wait a minute, like you're not, doesn't make you the only dad that thinks that way. I'm sure every dad and mom thinks that way. So why don't you use your vehicle as a, you know, why don't you use your platform as a vehicle to get out there? And so then you start to see that, okay, there's the city commissioners in the city of Longwood are the ones who are the decision makers essentially on different policies and legislation here in the city of Longwood. So I put my name in the hat. Um, and next thing I know, I got elected. <laughs> no, it's, it's, you know, it's a great story to hear. I, you know, Wife and I did a very similar, you know, bout that you were discussing for, you know, over five years. So I understand. And when that kid comes yeah. out, you, you, you kind of make decisions and you're now responsible for someone. But you want to be around as much as humanly possible and knowing the road that it took to, you know, be able to have something so precious in your life. It's crazy, right? Yeah, it, it really is. It was a very, you know, very trying time brought us closer. But, you know, again, you see that first kid, you know, we have two kids now. Both were IVF kids, but... You know, that when our daughter Riley came out, the, I, the happiness and joy when we held yes. that kid was beyond words. Um, not taking away from my second one, it was still just as good. But, you know, it, it, there's definitely a moment there. Um, gotcha. You know, so, you know, it's very interesting because you do see other, you know, actors and other people that have platforms to work off of get into politics. But you've, you know, through your career, you've lived your childhood dream of being a high-end basketball player at the Division One level, and then you were able to live out another childhood dream being a professional wrestler. You know, for any athletes or youth or adults listening, what, what kind of a, inspiring words do you have for them? As far as what? Say that again? I, I and, and inspiring words for young athletes looking, that have dreams they want to accomplish, any, you know, adults that have dreams that they're still trying to, you know, chase uh, with the time left you know what what inspiring words do you have for them oh my goodness that honestly that your dreams are going to change your goals are going to change they constantly are evolving it may not seem it right now but you're going to be on your way to one goal maybe one dream and what i'll say is you'll be very shocked at some of the doors on the side that you're passing by and you normally wouldn't even think to knock them you wouldn't even think to look in that direction for that matter let alone knock up for an opportunity. But as you get older and you start to change how you see this world, how you perceive things, again, perception is reality. Remember that. Um, when you do that, you normal doors that you normally bypass, you may stop. You may be very shocked that you may have a whole world of passion and heart and spirit behind whatever is behind that door that you would never even fathom you'd be remotely interested in. Again, I led this off with saying I hated politics. I hated politicians. I always joke, but I don't even know if that's still not true today, quite frankly. Um, I try to be an absolute bull in a china shop, cut tape, and doing everything I can for the city um, in the way that I do it. Um, not that I'm clearer than now, but I definitely don't do it your, typical, your prototypical politician way, I'll tell you that much. Um, don't use word service and stuff like that. I can get the job done. And I think it's that athletic background. I think it's that wrestling background. I think it's the ability to have thick skin. Um, and most importantly, I think it's that work ethic thing, that your job is to represent these other people that may not be able to represent themselves. 
all right? And you're their conduit. So that's what you're supposed to, I'm supposed to be doing. It's not what I think is best. I'm supposed to have a good feel for this city and what they want done and then get out there and get it done on their behalf. So when decisions come up, I don't make decisions based on what I personally feel is best. It's always done what I feel the city wants done because I'm supposed to be there. No, that's really supposed I have to be my dad and start looking through that viewfinder of life differently. And I think every parent has that and it's, it sees things differently once that happens. And again, who knows, five years from now, I may be having a whole different conversation with you, Drew, about something completely different. Right. Um, it's never, ever, ever over. You know, I mean, people get so stuck on, well, you know, I was a little kid, I wanted to be the first baseman in New York Yankees. That was my dream. It didn't work out. Now I'm working a nine to five at, uh, you know, uh, um, Kroger's Pharmacy somewhere. And blah, blah. okay, what's bad about that? That's not bad. That's amazing. You have a you have a blessed opportunity to put food on the table for your family. Here's my question to that person who thinks that way. What are you doing to be the best pharmacist Kroger's Pharmacy's ever had? What is he doing to say anybody else has ever stood in that position before you? That's what you got to do. You got to get competitive with yourself. And you got to stop worrying about what the world perceives as this super cool job to have or this super important job to have. Celebrity is, is a stupid word, um, in my opinion. Um, no, nobody on this planet is holier than that. We all struggle. We all are the same. I'm sorry. I don't care what color you are, religion you are. I don't care. We are all the same. And we're human beings and we have hearts. And when you generally try to let your heart lead you in those directions, I just think good things will happen. You'll have get blessed enough to have a passion for what they do for their job, right? Um, but I would tell that person to continue to try to do what you can to bust your tail, to get yourself in a position in which you are doing something that puts food on the table for your family, that yes, while it is work, it's also a passion. If you can get yourself in that type of opportunity, it's game over, game, set, match. You're living your best life, I will argue. And it doesn't matter if you're a movie star, an athlete, a wrestler, a politician, uh, a lawn care service, a lawyer. I don't care what it is that you do. People have got to stop looking at people's jobs as that's what who defines them. Because it doesn't. You know what defines you all? When you walk in the front door of your home and how your family responds to you. That's what defines you. Yeah, good. That very, very encouraging words. You know, it's what are you doing to be the best you for the most part and provide for your families? And that's, you know, sums up life pretty well. And, you know, especially coming from somebody with such a unique background and a lot of facets, you know, I, I, I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day today. I know you came from one interview onto this one, and I'm sure you're running to another meeting right now. But thanks for taking the time to call in from down there in uh, Longwood, Florida today, Matt. My honor, and everyone watching this, this is my former, my buddy, my teammate, Fairfield High School. Um, it's been an honor to be here, and I'm, I'm so happy to see you're doing amazing things. Thank you for continuing to inspire our youth up there. Um, I, I'm serious. I'm jealous of you, man. You're, you're doing one of the, that's something else. I feel like I need to live 10 lives to do different things I want to do with mine. One of the biggest things, Drew, is I wanted to, you know, do more than boys clubs and girls clubs and do more with coaching, especially coaching. Um, and it's most importantly inspiring our youth. I try to do it from my angle here as a mayor and as an elected human commissioner, for that matter, but uh, not like what you're doing, man. So thank you for doing that, and uh, you already know this. You're literally, as we speak, Drew, you're responsible for forming the minds and confidence and work ethic, I'll argue, 
of future leaders out there right now. You think Coach Dave Schultz and Wolfish Gerald thought that they were molding a future mayor? Hell no. Good <laughs> Lord, no. They'd be laughing if they knew this, probably. <laughs> but Or that I'd become a wrestler. I guarantee it. But um, it just goes to show you. It is a very big responsibility, and I thank you for that. And more, I hope more people are, too. Thank you. No, I, I I love it. I love what I do. I love working with the kids, and you know, ne- next time you're up here, I'll make sure to get you in front of a bunch of them and let you go run, let you go run around with them. So you just let me know when you're back up on the northeast, and uh, we'll connect and grab a coffee and get you in front of some kids. Proud of you, brother. Thank you for having me. All right, no problem. What a great conversation we just had with Matt Morgan, the mayor of Longwood, Florida. Two childhood dreams he was chasing, and was able to play Division One basketball at a high level finished his career out in Chaminade, and then with close to 15 years experience being a professional wrestler, and now he's in politics. He followed his heart, you know, and what he's trying to do now, he's trying to be the best that he can be at everything he does and provide a great lifestyle for his family. And, you know, in his words, perception is realty. Don't be afraid to open that door that you may not always want to open because you never know the path that it will lead you on. Thanks again for tuning in. Be well and take care.